Are you ready? Starting now? <laughs> well, now you just messed it up, you knob. God, you know that the shit that we go through for this, huh? I know. <laughs> fuckers, fuckers better appreciate it. When we started, we were just like, yeah, we're just going to do this, man. You know, shoot our wad into the wind and see what happens. <laughs> What's right. the title of this uh, podcast again? I don't know. Objects, I don't know. Something with a penis, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> our fucking faces are everywhere now. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but You're but welcome, ladies. <laughs> right. Popular with the ladies. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm not even going to apologize because I hopefully, hopefully it sounds <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, really? totally. this is this is fucking explicit now. <laughs> ah, the explicit button. Let me use my finger. <sighs> la, 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 la. It is time for another episode of Sober, Not Mature. And that episode starts now. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to another episode of Sober, Not Mature. And we actually have a guest again tonight, if anyone's been paying attention. So you know what? Because I, I get accused of not uh, not letting people introduce themselves right away, <laughs> I gotta let I gotta let Nicole introduce herself right away. So Nicole, say hi to everyone. Introduce yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Nicole, and I'm from Canada, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Actually, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, we've got a, got another one from Canada. So who was it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Sonia that we had talked to a couple of weeks ago was. And she, she, I don't think she was born in Canada, but she lived there for a little while. And then um, mm. the podcast we did, Eric from the Unfuck Yourself uh, yeah, podcast right. is from, yeah, he's from Canada. So, so yeah, you're like, a, you're like our third person and well, not necessarily in recent months, but yeah, you're another, another one of them Canadians. Another Canuck. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big country. There's lots of us, but not as many right. as you. And you're all amassed <laughs> on the border, ready to invade. <laughs> we have gun control. What are we invading with? Like, <laughs> yeah, so we had we we had a little bit of a little bit of a I don't want to say a glitch, but we had a little bit of a setup issue to begin with. Uh, Nicole was on her computer and she switched to her phone. So hopefully the audio sounds good. We can hear her okay, but uh, we just want to make sure to you know get, get everything get everything on there and get everything set before we started. But oh, before I forget, Mike, um, Nicole yes. clearly has you beat with tattoos. There is no fucking doubt. <laughs> all okay. right. Well, I'm gonna, contest, but all right. <laughs> it's, it's an inadvertent contest. And this is no shit. True story. She had posted a picture. This was probably three, four months ago. And you were you were sitting down and she had shorts on. And I looked in literally the picture. It looked like she was wearing tattoo leggings. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's sort of a new addiction, absolutely. <laughs> and and I've gotten all of them since I came into recovery. Right. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah. You know, and that's and that's something that we'll we'll definitely want to hear about. So yeah, we'll we'll talk tattoos. I have none, so I I I, I just kind of <laughs> sit in sit in awe sometimes. With uh, Mike's got a ton of tattoos, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, she's just you're like covered head to toe. I think in them, right? Close to <laughs> well, not, mostly just my limbs and a little bit on my back and chest, but yeah, 
I'm working on it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, so, um, and you would ask this right before, right before we started about a format and, uh, you know, we say this kind of quote unquote, but, um, I'll, I'll let Mike explain a little bit about what our format is. It's laid back, but go ahead, Mike. Do we have a format? <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Right. Well, basically, um, you know, we're, uh, we know how to get fucked up. We know how to fuck up our lives and the lives of everybody yeah. around us. Um, we want to know about the solution. You know, we definitely want to hear some background and, um, you know, what it was like and all that stuff. But mostly want to hear what you're doing today. And, um, you know, yeah, the solution. That's what we're interested For in. For sure. For sure. And I, and I think that's best, right? Oh yeah, I agree. And and I know I know yeah. a little bit about your story, and you've told me like bits and pieces just in the messaging that we did. But um, I don't know all of it, so I mean it'll be new for, it'll new for all of us. But um, but yeah, so if you want to start off, I mean maybe give your give your sobriety date, and then you know tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, where you came from, you know how you got to where you are, and like Mike said, the the solution part. For sure. Um, so my sobriety date is September 27th, 2018. And, um, that's actually my second sobriety date because, uh, this is like basically my second ticket return. I mean, there were times in the past where I was trying to clean up, um, but it just, it just wasn't happening for me at all. Um, I was just, um, too far into my addiction and nothing I, I was doing seemed to be working for me. And um, I, I think that I just wasn't given the gift of desperation at that point. Um, also, um, for me, a lot of my youth was uh, intrinsically linked to trauma that I had gone through, both, you know, um, kind of as a child, but also in my marriage. And it's just um, how I knew to, to cope. And um, I think it was like about six months after I was coming off of my relapse. And it was like, I don't know, I think the spring of 2019. And um, I went to a mental health first aid class and I had the instructor say to me, um, and, and this has stuck with me ever since, but he said, the brain can't really tell the difference between emotional pain and physical pain. And it was kind of like this huge aha moment for me because I had spent so much of my life um, trying to avoid pain. And um, the addiction piece was just so linked to the emotional pain that, that I had been in for such a long time. And that's why, you know, I um, was really attached to um, the substances that I was using and, and that way of coping because, you know, it just pushed everything back. And that was that was really related to how I grew up as a kid as well. Um, I grew up in like a really small community in Saskatchewan, which is sort of like in the middle of Canada. And um, not very many people in this province because it's really, really cold in the winter. And um, it's mostly a farming community. I grew up in a family that um, really good morals, really good uh, ethics. I learned a lot from my grandparents and I had a really close family, uh, but they also partied a lot. So, you know, it was like this work hard, play hard mentality. And um, on my mom's side of the family, I was like eighth generation in Canada. And um, that's just how you coped. Um, you didn't really deal with emotions. You pushed it down and, and you, you know, got drunk on the weekend, worked hard during the week. And, and if somebody was mad, um, there was a little bit of violence once in a while. And um, that's just, that's how it was. Like, 
tough. These were tough people, you know, living in minus 40 in, in 1900. And that's just how they coped. And so um, I think that also in this province that I live in, that it's pretty normal just to drink every day. I, I don't think that it's uncommon for people to, um, you know, just basically live their lives like that and not even question whether they're an alcoholic. Um, and, and people that live like that also don't, they don't have the same view of people that um, I think that wider society does in respect to addiction and, and alcohol abuse because they think that if you're an alcoholic, it means you're homeless. Or if you're an alcoholic, it means that you're living behind a dumpster. Or if you're an alcoholic, you know, you're rock bottom. And, and so, you know, it doesn't matter if you drink every day if you have a job. It doesn't matter if you drink every day if you own things. It doesn't matter if you own your house and you have your kids and, you know, all those things are great. Um, you're not an alcoholic. But the truth of the matter is, is that you're not learning to how to deal with um, your emotions and emotional intelligence. And then when something really seriously goes wrong or really seriously goes sideways, you have no coping skills. <laughs> and so for me, that was how I grew up. And um, I think that coupled with the fact that I had really bad social anxiety, like I started drinking, I think when I was like 12 years old and that was cool. Like my family, they didn't really care because, um, you know, we were kids and, and that's how they grew up. And so I started drinking when I was 12, uh, totally acceptable. I think the first time I got really loaded, I was like, yeah, 12 and I was at my aunt's and I was babysitting and me and my cousin drank like 12 beer, like puked my guts out and that was terrible. But, um, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And then when I was 15, um, I was introduced uh, to drugs by my father and um, just weed at the time. But then um, by the time I was 17, he introduced me to cocaine. And um, I was kind of um, a bit of a wild kid and I dropped out of high school and I was back and forth between Saskatchewan and Vancouver, so like the West Coast. And um did a lot of partying in the West Coast and, and that kind of thing. And, um, but it just really wasn't, uh, I, I didn't like living on the street. So I came back to Saskatchewan and, um, when I was 21, I decided it was time to have a kid. <laughs> so, um, I was 22 and I had my first baby and I actually managed to keep my shit together for a while there. Uh, I was involved in a relationship and we bought a house and I started to go to university as a mature student uh, because I didn't have a grade 12. And um, I went from a sociology degree to a law degree. And um, in between my sociology degree and my law degree, I actually broke up with my first child's father and ended up um, marrying uh, somebody that I knew from high school. Now, this person that I knew from high school, he had a very severe alcohol problem. But again, since I grew up like that and my dad was like that and uh, my larger family was like that, I didn't really think anything of it. And um Things were okay at first, uh, made it through law school, then uh, we moved to the West Coast, so we moved to Vancouver so that I could practice law there, and um, it became evident pretty quickly into the marriage, I think probably about a year in, that uh, things were just not going to go very well for us. Um, lots of drinking, lots of partying, lots of fighting, uh, he couldn't keep a job. 
And I think it was like only about six months into our marriage, he got in a really bad car accident and he was prescribed Oxycontin. And um, because of how terrible our marriage was going and there was some emotional abuse and um, not any physical abuse yet at this point uh, that came later after the Oxycontin addiction started. Um, but I was like, I was really disillusioned about the marriage itself because I grew up in a family that despite the fact that there was a lot of drinking, uh, they stay married. Like my great grandparents who I actually grew up with, they were married for 76 years. And my, my wow. grandparents, they were married for like 60 years. And, you know, nobody got divorced in my family. The only person that got divorced in my family that I knew was my mom. And that's how I ended up living with my grandparents. So when, when I married this person, I, I actually, like, I had planned to stay married until I died. Because, you know, that's another thing that I learned when I, when I grew up. So I just wasn't, I wasn't um, capable of dealing with some of the stress that came with that situation. And um, since I had, like, zero coping skills when things started going really badly and um, there was also a lot of financial problems as well because I was the only one working out. I, I was like a relatively new lawyer and I was working for a firm that um, we had a fee splitting agreement. So 50% of the money that I brought in, the legal fees that I brought in went to the, um, went to the law firm that I worked for and I got 50%. But I'm at this point now, I have three kids and I'm married to an alcoholic with Oxycontin uh, addiction. And um, don't don't get me wrong. Like I was using I was using um, alcohol pretty much every day. Uh, I started using cocaine and it's well, like I said, I was introduced at, at 17. And since the alcohol wasn't helping me cope anymore, then I started using harder drugs. And the, the coke thing, like it started like just weekends and then all of a sudden it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then I was doing <laughs> it before court and um, I, like it, it was like really out of hand and I was really depressed at the same time, but I was trying to keep it together because I had kids and um you know, um, something that I told myself uh, when I was growing up living with my grandparents was like, oh, I'd never be like my mom. I would never let my kids go to their grandparents. You know, I would never be like my mom. I would never like let leave my kids behind. And and the fact of the matter is, is that it it was worse. Um, you know, I, I lived with my grandparents and they were amazing. And um, I had that stability. And now my kids were living in an environment where uh, me and their dad were fighting, not only, um, you know, arguing, but it became physical after a while because he um, had the Oxycontin addiction. And so he was physically addicted and he was sick. And then um, what happened was um, because uh, we didn't have a steady stream of income, I decided that I, I was going to go and work for Crown. I was going to become a prosecutor because, uh, you know, you get an actual salary with them. Well, that was a really great fucking idea because, <laughs> you know, you're going to be a prosecutor with a, with a coke problem. And, um, you know, the thing was that I, I didn't really think it was a big deal because I was going to court every day and I was winning. 
And, you know, how can it be that bad if you're winning? And how can it be that bad if if the people in your office aren't saying anything? And like, I was coming to work, um, you know, hungover or with black eyes. Uh, there was one point that I didn't come to work for like two weeks. Nobody even asked me where I was. Like, it was, it was crazy. And so when I went to Crown, then the firm that I was working for for like almost four years, they noticed that there was some billing discrepancies. Hmm. because I had started taking cash from clients. And I don't mean like stealing from them. I meant mean like instead of giving the firm their cut of, of the fee splitting agreement, I was just pocketing all of it. And as a lawyer, you have a trust account and all of your funds have to go through that trust account and you have to bill and transfer it to your billing account and then you get the money. Right. Well, when you have a drug addiction, you need, you need to get money fast. <laughs> Yep. So I, yeah, so I started like taking cash from clients and doing stuff like, you know, on the DL and not letting my firm know what I was doing. And um, my billings went from, you know, 140,000 to like 70,000. And, and it, what was funny in the end is that um, I got sanctioned by the law society and it was, it was over $7,000. It wasn't over a lot of money and it wasn't um, like I'd been doing it for a really long time. It was just because I just was incapable of, of operating on the up and up at that point. Like I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And um, so I had to resign from Crown and I had a law society sanction and um, I was like, I was ready to kind of admit what I did and I wanted to go and um, start looking into recovery and that sort of thing. But the thing was this, like I went um, to a counselor and, and that was fine. But I mean, the environment that I was living in wasn't um, at all conducive to me uh, cleaning up. I mean, my husband was using just as, just as much, if not more. And like I said, he, he was also using Oxycontin. And then um, I started using Oxycontin as well. And so we became physically addicted to that drug and um, he got cut off by his doctor and uh, we started using heroin. <laughs> that always, that yeah. always comes next. And we, Mike and I not only yeah. know people, but have had people on here that uh, it's, that is the, as soon as you mentioned the, the car accident and the fact that what yeah. he was prescribed, I mean, Mike, you probably knew where that was going to, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, cut out yeah. the middleman and I just went to heroin, but yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so, well, so real, real quick though, Nicole. So with, yeah. so you got, obviously you're doing the things with the law firm. You were skimming off of what you should have been paying to, to the firm from your clients. Yeah. Did, did, were you caught and then admitted it or just admitted it or how did that, that oh, piece no. happen? Well, I, I, since I, I, I switched from, like, since I resigned from the firm and then went to Crown, they then had access to my billings. Okay. And I I had been doing a little bit of double billing, like, but I was too loaded to actually try to cover anything up, you know? And um, so, like, there, with the Law Society hearing, there's basically two parts. It's like, you know, the trial and then the sentencing. Except for it's like the fact finding part and then all still the sentencing. So when I went to the fact finding part of the law society uh, hearing, I admitted it. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's totally what I did. I admit that I did that and um, I have addiction issues, right? And um, unfortunately, uh, 
<laughs> I had addiction issues. I had no problem admitting I had addiction issues, but I had no idea uh, how to start cleaning myself up. You know, the counselor wasn't working out for me because it was a male and um, because I was in an abusive relationship and there were other things going on in my life. I just couldn't even connect with him and um, try to go to detox and that didn't work out because like I said, I'm returning home to an environment with somebody who's using. And um, so my grandpa then passed away. And uh, like I said, I grew up with my grandparents and he was like my dad and um, came back to Saskatchewan to, for the funeral. And, and uh, my husband got a DUI when we were here and he got thrown in jail and went back to um, Vancouver. And I was supposed to have the sentencing part of my hearing and I was too fucked up. Like there was no fucking way I could go. Like the, the youth had become like every day, all day. Um, and then not only that, um, my grandpa dying in that grief of me not being able to deal with what already was going on in my life. It just was like beyond. And so I just didn't go. And I convinced myself, I'm like, you don't want to be a lawyer anymore anyways, because you don't want to deal with that oversight. And clearly, you know, you can't handle it. And you're not good enough and you can't practice law and it was so screwed because I was like I was a really good lawyer like I've got published decisions and um I uh basically just decided like nobody's gonna hire you and you should just forget about it so I didn't go I didn't go to that part of the hearing and instead of being suspended like they said they were going to suspend me for a month and a half they just barred me because there was really no choice so, um, in retrospect, though, and I know this now, um, even if I had gone and even if I only had been suspended for a month and a half, we, we all know that I probably would have got disbarred a little later on because I just wasn't ready to quit fusing at that point. Sure. Right. So, yeah. Um, and, I, and I think uh, I think all of us have <laughs> have those moments. And I, <laughs> and I talked about that with with Mike. I had my I did my own training and consulting business for like a year and I don't know, like four months before my ex and I split up. And this was in the, the depths of my of my drinking. I mean, this was in like 2005 to 2006. And I didn't get sober until 2010. But um you know, to, for the longest time, I'm like, oh, I, I didn't have enough time to make it work. Well, once hmm. I got sobered, I started telling people about it. And I, I think Mike and I were you, you and I were the ones who were talking about this. And you might have even said it to me. You're like, you never would have made it work anyhow. You're fucking drinking all the time. You're, you're right. too fucking, you're fucking loaded to make it work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But these and, and, and these realizations was... that we get, you know, when we when we sober up, you know. Right. Right. And. You know, um, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I think that, you know, if if the situation was different, maybe I could have cleaned up then. But the situation was not different. And I did not clean up then. And in fact, it got way fucking worse. Right. <laughs> Usually does. So that's, just the, that's just the first part. That's just the first part. Um, so basically, um, when I found out that I got disbarred, I then tried to commit suicide. So my my in-laws came in and they took my kids. Uh, at first, social services took my kids, which was, let me tell you, really humiliating. And being disbarred is also slightly humiliating. Um, so, you know, I fucking, like, I hated myself so much. Like, I was so disgusted by myself um, that I just, yeah, I just continued to use. And so, um, basically became homeless uh he my husband and i we stayed together and i think we became more running partners than anything because 
I went from being a lawyer to doing Home Depot scams and stealing catalytic converters out of Forerunners uh, <laughs> real fast, real fast. Um, went from like, you know, wine and blow to uh, heroin and crack, uh, living in trap houses, uh, you know, and, and my husband, like, the one thing that I did learn from him over time was how not to deal drugs because he was the worst drug dealer on the planet. <laughs> and, um, you know, he was a drug dealer kind of before we, we were together, you know, he was the weed dealer. It wasn't a big deal, but you know, it became um, a necessity after because we had no income. And um, so, you know, you survival deal and with those other scams that we were pulling in that kind of shit, like, we were, we were dealing dope a bit, but you know, things were bad. Like we had nowhere to go. And, and I knew that I wanted to clean up at that point, but it just wasn't happening. And um, at one point I uh, went to detox and then I couldn't get a treatment bed for six months. And then I finally got a treatment bed. I was in treatment for two weeks and I got a weekend out and I was like using within an hour. And I was just like, I'm like, what, what do I do? Because, you know, I'm sick of being sick. And, and, you know, if you have an opiate addiction, that's, that's what it is. You don't even get high anymore. And so that's why we were smoking crack too. And so I'm like, I got this big plan. I'm like, let's go back to Saskatchewan, go back to Saskatchewan and I've got family support and we can clean up there. So, uh, takes us five weeks to pack the fucking U-Haul. <laughs> we drive out to Saskatchewan and nobody wants anything to do with me. Um, right. If you go to grandma's, we will call the cops on you. And so um, we borrowed money off of our oldest kids and um, got, a, got a place to live, basically kicked it for like six weeks. We were so sick. Like it was really, really terrible. And um, Unfortunately, that's not where it, it, it ended. Um, then we started doing some bullshit in Saskatoon as well. And um, then we met um, somebody that we had known from uh, previous. And they came to us and they said, do you know anybody on the coast that can get meth? And um, since we did know a lot of people on the coast and we knew a lot of people in Saskatoon that were from that lifestyle that had money, uh, we started doing runs from Saskatchewan to uh, BC and picking up. And so we actually became like, I don't know, it was crazy. All of a sudden, um, <laughs> no, I have got a mess problem as well. And um, it, it was a weird situation because the city's really small and everybody kind of gets to know who you were. And um, the cops knew who we were pretty much right off the, the bat. And then um, the abuse got worse, and because um, I also had been dealing drugs, what the fuck did I need him for anymore? And so we ended up breaking up, and um, I just sort of took over. I met some other people, and I went from um, survival dealing to dealing for cash, and in and like I mean large amounts of cash, and. Um, in 2012, there was an attempt on my life. Uh, my hotel room door got kicked in, and two guys uh, came in with a golf club and a hammer, and they tried to murder me. Wow. And I was, yeah, I was in the hospital for, I think it was like almost a month. I had 33 staples in my head, and I almost died, and I still wasn't ready to quit, you know? <laughs> and um, I got out, and, and I knew who did it. I knew who did it to me and it wasn't because I owed them money. It was because they owed me money and they didn't want to pay me. And, um, 
So instead of quitting, I kept going. And now I had more street cred because I wouldn't talk to the cops. And so I was approached by organized crime. I'm not going to name names, but um, ended up dealing on an even larger scale. And I think it was like probably eight months after that. And I, I noticed that there were drones following me around. And I thought I was just paranoid and high. I didn't know that's not what was happening. <laughs> Uh, I had this unfortunate nickname of the meth queen. Um, the city's not that big, right? And so um, I got busted and I had a really large quantity on me and I had a lot of cash. And um, because I didn't have a criminal record, they let me out. And um, I got out and I can remember sitting on the side of my bed and I had a curfew. And um, I, again, broke. I had no money now and I, I can't deal drugs anymore and they took all my money away and I have this curfew and I remember sitting on the side of my bed and feeling exactly like I did when I got disbarred and that's so fucked up but that lifestyle had become just like such a part of who I was and at that point like I was ready for it to be done but I was involved with some pretty scary people and it, it couldn't just be done and so I got arrested again um, uh, this time though, I was six months pregnant. I got pregnant. I didn't even know I was pregnant because for Christ's sakes, I was 44 years old and I really didn't see that coming. <laughs> went into right. Yeah. Right. Went into jail and lost the baby in jail. Um, more trauma, you know, and, uh, they released me again on bail and I got out and I was like, now what? And I was supposed to go to treatment, didn't go to treatment, and things just, you know, continued. And and I was um, I was in my house, and I was packing my suitcases, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm leaving this province. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go back to BC. And I was fucking high. Like, I was just, I wanted out so bad that I was just trying to think of a way to get out of it. And I sure the hell didn't want to go to prison. Um, but, um, that was the other option and, uh, the cops came to do a condition check and, um, guess where I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, uh, I was ready though. You know, like I walked out and I was like, I, I need to end this. I need to find a different way to live. And, um, I couldn't see any other way to get out. And, uh. So, yeah, I was like, okay, let's do this. And uh, I went into prison and I pled guilty and I got sentenced to three and a half years. And it was the best fucking thing that could have ever happened to me. Right. Yeah. So, um, there's a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that, but, that but, sounds but, like a, a turning point, but a, I mean, a forced turning point, but a good one. Yeah. Right. But, but, yeah, it, it was good. So when I, when I got to prison, um, I, I was actually quite happy to be there. And, um, you know, after I had a little bit of time and space away from the drugs and my, my mind was starting to come back to me, uh, you know, I, I was like, what the fuck did you do? Like, you have, you know, this amazing family of support. You have three kids. You have, you know, two university degrees. You had it all. 
And now here you are in prison on the treadmill, running and crying because you feel bad for yourself and like, what the fuck even happened? And so when I was in there, I decided, you know, I, I need to find something um, to help keep me clean because I, I don't know how to do it myself. And the one thing that occurred to me that I had never had in my whole entire life was, uh, and it sounds so cliche, because I know a lot of people find, um, you know, God or, or whatever their idea of God is in prison. And for me, it was uh, my creator. I was um, doing time at a healing lodge and um, started going to some uh, institutional meetings, um, NA and then AA in the community. And uh, I did did a little bit of step work on my own without a sponsor because there wasn't a sponsor available to me in there, but I did a lot of letters, you know, I sort of started with a step eight and write, wrote letters to my family, wrote letters to my kids. And um, I knew, you know, that it was really important that I just be really honest and accountable to everybody that I'd heard because I had heard a lot of people in my addiction and not only had I heard a lot of people, like I, I hurt families and I hurt community and, and I hurt property, like whole apartment buildings were fucked up by some of the things that I was doing when I was dealing. And so, um, I was really lucky because, uh, I got sent to treatment in Calgary and, uh, that was only eight months in and in Canada, you are eligible for parole when you are 25 cent or 25% done your, uh, your, uh, prison sentence and so since I didn't have a criminal record prior to that um, I went to treatment for six weeks and when I came back from treatment I was granted parole at, at nine and a half months Nice. so I got released at nine and a half months I uh, got released to a community in British Columbia that was very far from Saskatoon and very far from the people that I knew in Saskatoon and very far from that lifestyle and um, close to where my children were uh, my two younger children were about an hour and a half to where I, uh, away from where I was released. And at that point, 90% of my family had forgiven me and allowed me back into their lives. And I think that that was the best piece of all, and especially the piece around my kids, because, you know, I hadn't had them for a really long time. They had been with um, their grandparents for almost eight years. And for three or almost four years before I got arrested, I didn't speak to anybody, right? Anybody that I knew when I was growing up or anybody that um, I was close to in my family, I just, I totally alienated myself from that so that I could continue to use. And so when I got out, um, I did a lot of uh, volunteering. I volunteered for like a couple different community organizations, um, but I still wasn't really 100% ready to be honest with myself. Um, I was going to meetings and I got a sponsor, but... I wasn't um, really committed and I got to step four uh, in uh, the 12 steps and I was going to Narcotics Anonymous and I just sort of stopped going to meetings and I stopped doing my step work and then my sponsor relapsed and I started flipping into old behaviors and I was on parole and I was having to piss so I think that that's what kept me accountable but you know um, I, I just you know, I didn't know what my life was going to look like. And, and parts of it was that um, I wasn't being transparent about the fact that I was an addict. I didn't feel like I was still carrying a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And um, I wasn't transparent about the fact that I'd done prison time. And I didn't know who I was still because of that. 
and um, slipping back into old behaviors. And I ended up running the border and coming down to Canvas and uh, to be with a guy that had also been released from prison around the same time that I was. <laughs> and I relapsed within a month. Okay. Like it was, it was fucked up. But down there, that's no joke. Um, you know, Canada. If you if you want to hurt somebody, you've got to you hit them over the head with an all club, or you got to stab them to death because of gun control. But but down there, like people were getting shot, and um, some of the stuff that was going on down there was crazy. And um, like all at addiction or you know um, drinking situations, like it escalated really fast. I was basically back to where I was before I went into prison. Like within two weeks, I lost twenty five pounds. I, like it was bad, and. Um, Came back to Canada, went back down there, came back to Canada, and then I've said, you know what, this is fucking stupid. This is so stupid. So I went back to Camlips, where I got released from prison, and this time I was serious. This time I was so serious about it. And so um, I got a sponsor. He's still my sponsor today. I uh, started going to NA very frequently. Uh, started working my steps, but I do have to say I'm only, I've only done one set. It was life changing for me. And um, when I stepped into that and I was able to be honest with myself and accountable and transparent and vulnerable and take all the things that I was learning from my program and my sponsor and my step work and apply them to my life, big changes started happening. Uh, I think it took me like six months and um, I like I was yelling to the rooftops when I got back to Canada. So I'm like, hey, yeah, so I'm in recovery and yeah, I went to prison. But you know what? I want to take that lived experience and make it count. I have two university degrees and um, I may not have the credibility that some uh, some organizations want or some jobs want. But there are a lot of organizations that support people with mental health um, issues or addiction issues. A lot of people that are uh, organizations that are doing things with social justice and with recovery. And I can take my education and I can take what I've learned in my program and I can take my lived experience and I can use that to help people like me and to make people like me not feel as stigmatized and let them know that there's people that, um, you know, support them and uh, want to to help them and so i got a job with an organization that supports people with mental health and addiction issues and um from that job i then took a job with another organization i basically was working six seven days a week and um i went hard like with everything i went hard with my program i went hard with work i went hard with supporting other people and um really just carrying the message and um the funny thing about my instagram pages i started it pretty much right after I came back from my relapse. And so it's sort of like this really cool thing because I've built this community and it's it's all about my recovery, but it's about support right. too. And so, you know, um, it's just, it's part of who I am. And I love that my life has just gotten better every day because of it. And not only because of my program, but because of the people that I've surrounded myself with and the things that I expose myself to. And, and I know that it 100% is because of my program and, and because of how transparent I am that things have gone as well as they have. Right. And so, yeah, 
that's where I'm at. So, so real quick, um, and and you know, why don't we do this, Mike? Let's let's take a. We've gotten through obviously the story up to the point because this is kind of going into you know more of your solution and what you're doing today type of thing. So why don't we right. why don't we take right. a take a quick break now? Um, and Mike, uh, obviously, you can talk us into it. All right, then. Well, stay with us. We're going to find out what happens next right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, everyone. It's your friends at Sober Not Mature. Hi and, there. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes it's, it's both of your friends this time. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Bill? I am doing well, but we do, we do have a purpose. Uh, we, we actually usually talk about uh, our one website, but we actually have two websites now. So two, we to, two websites in one. <laughs> All right. So, so everyone knows we still have the podcast website that is www.sobernotmature.com uh-huh. and we just launched the store website. So uh, we also have that. Do you know what the website address is on that one, Mike? Of course I don't. <laughs> it's pretty easy, Mike. It's www.sobernotmatureshop.com. Ah. So, <laughs> but from the, the the podcast website, you can still hit the store link and get into the uh, into the web store, or you can right. access it from our Instagram page through the highlights. Uh, we've been posting quite a bit about it, and we'll continue to do that. But mm-hmm. do you know what's on the second website, Mike? Um, it, well, there's a store. There are products that you can purchase for you and your loved ones. <laughs> well, Mike, do we do we still have merchandise? <laughs> we have merchandise. Well, we got T-shirts and coffee mugs and all kinds of crap. <laughs> and one of the one of the coolest parts we also do have. <laughs> All the recovery books from Hazelden, which is kind of a big deal. That um, is a least, big deal. Yeah, at least for us. So all the books that we read, God grant me, 24 hours, the big book, the 12 and 12, um, all of those books are available for sale on our website. And they once are. again, that, that store website is www.sober. <laughs> trying to help, man. <laughs> I know you are. You're not helping, though. Okay, now i got to say www.sobernotmatureshop.com. Dot so, com. Dot com. Visit that today or visit the, the podcast website, which is, again, you know the podcast website, so. Uh, com. <laughs> Did you just say sober but not mature? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Write that down. Yeah, like fucking mush mouth or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. You've suffered enough with this, and uh, we'll get back to what we were talking about previously. So visit the websites, though. All right, everyone. Welcome back. And when we when we were talking just a second ago here, so you're into your out of your relapse. And you when you talked about the one only part that I missed is you were talking about the steps, and then you said you only did a certain point. So I missed that part. You yeah. said you only did a certain so, part of the steps, or you only to a point, or and because I, I think that's important. Yeah. I think it was you cut out when you had said that. I didn't hear that part. Okay. So before my relapse, I only made it to step three, the end of step okay. three, and like. I, I absolutely know that it was it was definitely related to the fact that I only made it that far that contributed to my relapse. And that contributed to me sliding back into, um, you know, pattern behaviors. Because, you know, when you're living in a particular way your whole entire life, it's only natural that you're going to slip back in, into that if you don't do the work and you don't, um, you know, have a solution or an alternate way to deal with some of the things that you've been dealing with. And so when I came back after my relapse, um, 
I got a little more serious about my program. And um, what I did say was I've done a set of steps, but I've only done one set of steps. And, and uh, I started another set of steps, but it took me four whole years, almost four whole years to do my first step or set of steps. Um, the thing about it was, though, and people laugh at me all the time because I, I call it marinating. I used to marinate and um, uh, I was really, really thorough with my steps. Like I did a lot of writing, my course sponsor. Uh, we would sit down and when you're going through one step together, it wasn't it wasn't just like, you know, a short period of time. We would have to meet three or four times <laughs> to go through the step work. And um I felt like I was sort of getting the lessons along with it while I was doing it. And I, and I don't recommend that for everybody, but it works for me. Right. And, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that, but the like, thing of it is, with, though, is that, so you said you only went through one set. So you, you said it only went through yes. the steps one time? Okay, yes. but so in in Mike and I, I'm sure Mike Mike's got something to say on this too. But uh, I've got a few thoughts. Okay, well, you know what? Actually, go go Perfect. ahead, Mike, because you usually explain this part a little bit better than I do. So jump up, <laughs> okay. jump up, right? Well, the way I was taught, the way we were taught, was um, yeah, we do four, five, and eight to the best of our ability. We never have to do those again. That's what the tenth step is for. Oh, but the rest of the yeah. steps, the rest of the steps. Yes. Okay, I've got to yeah. work every day. One day at a time, every day. See, I worked before. I work one, two, and three before I get out of bed every day. I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know that. Right, right. I if six yeah. and seven, absolutely every day, and then you know ten, eleven, and twelve, which are called the maintenance steps. Of course, I have to yes. work every day. You know, um, yeah. at, at nine, I've got to work every day. You know, I've I've got amends <laughs> to make for the rest of my life. That's cool. That's, but yes, I yes. work all of those steps except for those three, four, five, and eight. I work yeah. every day. Yeah. So I've been working. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't understand this. You know, I I hate when I hear somebody from the podium, somebody in a meeting talking, saying I worked the steps in past tense. I don't understand that. I've got to no, work no, this no. program okay. every day. Yes, I love how you put that, and I've never really thought of it that way, but mm. it, it makes total sense, because I, I do do my steps one, two, and three every day. In fact, uh, I, I do them several times during the right. day. Sure. Surrender has been the biggest thing for me. Um, surrender, faith, and acceptance, and I always hashtag that shit all over the place on my Instagram, because that is absolutely what has kept me clean over the last few years. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't understand surrender the first time around. I thought I just had to surrender, um, you know, the fact that I had a drug addiction. I just had to surrender mm -hmm. the fact that I had a drinking problem. I didn't understand that I had to surrender every fucking piece of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, and, but, and that's the thing. But, when, when you had mentioned, the reason I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, pause on that, that, that you only did one set. Yeah. I have never started from step one and gone through the book and done all of them again. Mike, to my best of my knowledge, has never sat down and done, you know, the full 12 steps again in a, in more of a schooled like yeah, fashion, you know, like one through no. 12 type of yeah. thing. But here's the deal. It's like, and that's why I wanted him to explain it because he does that really well is that yeah. we went through, we completed the steps the first time with, with sponsor did all those things. We went through that, that first time for the first time. And then, yeah. you know, every single day. And that's why I wanted to bring that up. Cause I, I do, I pay attention on Instagram. You know, some of it's just watching memes and I post to myself, but you're, yeah. I watch your posts and I watch what you post and that sort of thing. And so you're doing that. You're already just, whether you know it or not, you're, yeah. you're working all those steps yeah. on a daily basis, whether they're in a meme or what you post, 
you're doing it. You're doing yeah, it all the time. That's yeah. why I kind of wanted to reinforce that for you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But, but the step 10 thing too, also like that's, that's really important because it's, it's accountability for me. I think that, and like I said, you know, I wasn't really ready to be transparent or I wasn't really ready to let go of some of that guilt and shame that I was carrying around and um, mm-hmm. that accountability piece. And, and now, you know, this is something that, that I've, I've recognized over the last four years is when you're willing to be vulnerable and you're willing to be accountable and you're willing to like say, you know, listen, I fucked up. And, and right. it can be something really small or it can be something really big. Um, and I do that through the day in a lot of my communications with people. And I have built like some of the most authentic relationships, whether they're like 10 minutes or 15 minutes or like ongoing, just by having that attitude and you know step 10 you're supposed to do it at the end of the day like i said i'm doing it three or four times during the day because it's just sort of become automatic and so i love how you explained it like that because i've just never really thought of it like that mm-hmm. you know it hadn't really been approached to you know like yeah that. so yeah you know, that's amazing uh, thanks man. i've got to work this program every day otherwise yeah I, I don't have a fucking choice i will pick up again and i will start hurting everybody around me again and i don't want to do Correct. that so i work this yes. program every day yes I love yeah, that. and it's um, so and like I said, it it does um, so much of this stuff. Thankfully, it becomes it becomes natural, you know. And and it is it is yeah. kind of silly, like you said, uh, you know. Instagram kind of keeps you accountable. One of the reasons that I that I joined Instagram to begin with before we started this, it was, I started under a, just a random name that I did to begin with. So I could interact and start being more open. But, you know, if, if you notice on Instagram, whether you do or don't, I never use my full first and last name on there. And where Mike, Oh, I had to ask you yeah, where, where Mike does. I mean, Mike uses his, yeah. you know, his, his full name. Yeah. I don't, you know, and because I, I want to be, I want to be accountable to, to the people that I want to be accountable to. Um, I'm not fully just, and it's based on, again, there's a lot of reasons behind it. It's irrelevant, but I've chosen that since the day I got sober and I don't hide, you know, I'm not ashamed of who I am, but I'm, I'm very choosy about who I share that with, you know, and Instagram is weird as it might be in this, you know, this has given me uh, an opportunity to, to be more open and it'd be probably like yeah. you just said, be more vulnerable. You know, it gave Mike and I an opportunity to, yeah. to shoot the shit every week because he's in Cleveland and I'm in, well, now Indiana, I was in Wisconsin, but so right. we're really close and we're brothers and we're all the sort of things, but we just didn't have that opportunity. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. It just, it, it is a matter of getting out there and doing those things. But one thing that you had brought up to me too. So um, when you're going through that whole thing with the, with the magazine thing, you said that you, you considered yourself a program girl. Do you still do like meetings and all that stuff now? Or how is that? How do you do that sort of thing now? Okay. So um, like I said, I've got really bad anxiety. And um, so in Kamloops, where I got released from prison and where my sponsor is and all of that, I had a, a have, because when I go back, I'll, I'll go to meetings there too. Again, um, I have a home group and that's my recovery community. Like I can walk into a meeting and I know everybody, right? right? Um, my social anxiety is bad and like since I've, i moved recently because i got a new job then that, that that's part of my story as well like i went from um being a tenant support worker just supporting people like uh with addiction and mental health issues to 
going to another organization that um, I was fundraising, then I was coordinating a program, and then I was running a whole housing portfolio. And now I'm an executive director of a social justice organization that uh, supports criminalized women and uh, women in conflict with the law. And this, like, it makes perfect sense. Um, when I came back to Saskatoon, where I was arrested, <laughs> um, three different people sent me that posting and I was like, can I go back there? I don't know if I can go back there safely. And I've now been back um, almost a month and only a month and three days. And the narrative has changed for me. Like, you know, when I rolled into town, I felt different. And that person that I was, I don't know where that person is anymore. And so I feel, you know, I think about it a lot, but I just, it's hard to, for me to even identify. Um, but the thing is that I haven't gone to any meetings yet because I, I'm still trying to navigate how I feel about, you know, being back here and everything. I plan on it. I went to uh, meet some friends of mine the other day and, and that was the first thing I'm like, so do you guys, are you going to meetings? Like, so I got a list. I got a list two days ago, and I just made friends with somebody on Facebook that I'm going to reach out to, and I'm going to start going to meetings. Uh, I absolutely need to. Uh, I don't have any friends really here, which is fine, but I can't just work, you know. So that meeting piece is really important to me, and that outside perspective is really important to me, and I need to hear other people in the program and, and to hear what they've got going on. And I'm going to have to go to meetings until I die, and I know that. Um, it's just overcoming that anxiety, and and I, uh, I'll I'll do it, and I'll go. So I'll check in with you, and let you know how it went. Right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Right. Because you know, yeah. on my own, man, I'll I'll fuck shit up all over the place. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I need yeah. other people to say, nope, that's wrong, and I gotta go. Oh yeah. Right. I guess it is. And then, you know, and that's the thing, though, and Mike and I have talked about it plenty, but, uh, you know, he mainly goes to his um, home group on a weekly basis, which is every Sunday. And mm -hmm. you can explain why why you go to that meeting now, Mike. I mean, you've been doing it for right. years. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't go to a meeting. I have a support group. You know, I've been doing this almost 13 years. Next month, it'll be 13 years if I keep doing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah, but, you know... Um, yeah, I don't go to the meeting because I need to go to a meeting. I go to my home group because I keep the doors open. I'm being of service. Right. That's that's why I go to meetings yeah. now, you know, to right. keep the door open. Um, yeah, you know, if right. I ever and if I ever get to the point where I have to go to a meeting because I need to go to a meeting, I'm fucking shit up long before I need to go to the meeting. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm working the steps. I'm working my program. I'm keeping my – I'm not keeping myself sober, but I'm – the pro I'm let allowing the program to keep me sober by working right. the program. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so sure. I go to I go to I go to a meeting to be of service. I don't go to the meeting right. because I need the meeting. You know, that was my first five years. I went to meetings because right. I needed to go to a meeting. Yeah. Now yeah. it's I go to a meeting yeah. to keep the drawers open. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I'm like, I'm, I'm four and a half years right now. And I just finished that set of steps in, I guess it was September last year. And my sponsor was like on me. It's time to sponsor somebody. Right. <laughs> I, I tried to sponsor a couple. I tried to sponsor a couple people. It didn't work out for different, various reasons. But um, the one thing that I have done for service that I continue to do for service, and, and I bet you can't tell that I have really bad anxiety about I have this rule if I get asked to speak, I do. And mm -hmm. so I've been doing a lot of speaking in the last uh, couple of years. Like I speak at detox and I uh, spoke at Silver Living. And then I ended up speaking at the law school like four times. 
Then I've done a couple podcasts. And in May, I'm speaking at the Provincial Judges Conference in front of 130 fucking judges. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I'm shitting myself. But um, I, I think that it, it's good because those are the people that actually need to hear some of the things that I'm talking about. And um, so... Will I continue to um, spread the message to people that are still struggling? I think that it's also important to spread the message to people that have no fucking understanding as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, and you know the the thing yeah. that is, and uh, you know when, and I was going to God when we were out in Cleveland, and I I moved back to Wisconsin when I was three three years and I don't know four or five months sober, and uh, you know I was going to a lot of meetings in Cleveland and did the same thing when I first moved because I was you know anytime I moved to usually in a different area different circumstance I jump back into meetings because I'm I'm out of my element you know. And um, the pandemic yeah. threw me and everyone else off and I was doing online meetings and then, oh, yeah. you know, started listening to podcasts and then we started doing, you know, I joined Instagram and we started doing this thing. This has been just this podcast. I mean, and Mike and I mentioned it all the time has been, it's been huge. Once again, it was, a, it was an opportunity. The only goal we had to begin with was, well, first of all, we did it on kind of a, it was a whim and kind of a joke figuring, you know, fuck it, man, all these people out there, we can do this, <laughs> you know, which Again, physically, we can put, you know, put a headset on and throw a microphone in front of our face and, and talk some shit. And that's what we've done. But then then we started to get yeah. some feedback and then we started to, you know, get feedback from people that aren't necessarily, you know, in in recovery and, you know, normies and all these different things. And then it turns out to like, wow, this is, you know, somehow, some way. Right. Right, Mike. And he always says that. Yeah. Some. <laughs> Somehow or another, we're making somebody's life better. Imagine that. And it's, and it's weird because you know, and we every once in a while we get these messages on Instagram or and well, we usually when we get them, I'll, I'll bring them up and I'll you know I'll read them on here and there. I mean, on a weekly basis, one or two usually, if somebody messages us about something, sometimes they're saying we love your content. All that means is you know they love the memes that I'm the, the fucking nasty ass shit that I post at the time. But at least that's the way I look at it. But <laughs> But then somebody will say mm-hmm. that, hey, you know, it's the because every single day um, I post a one of my readings from the morning and I I do it. It's something that means something to me. But every once in a while, I mean, I don't think the readings much of anything. You know, I mean, it, it meant something to me and I read it. But then we'll get a ton of comments and a ton of people, you know, interact with it or like it or whatever the deal is. And I'm like, really? And I read it again. I'm like, eh. I'm like, OK, you know, it seems, you know, kind of vanilla <laughs> to me. But that that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it means to me. Or what anything Mike and I say, right. what what it means to you know to he and I. It's what if it lands on somebody somebody's ears, you know, the right way that that's all that matters, you know. So exactly, yep. yeah, yeah. But so so yeah. you're you were working with people in basically you know our type of people in the in the recovery or in the um, alcohol and drug kind of treatment sort of thing and explain now what you're doing executive director of and i know you were talking about women involved Uh, with the law and stuff like that correct yeah um it's uh there's there's uh actually like there's a canadian association but there's also locals all across canada uh that are loosely related it's called the elizabeth fry society of of, um, saskatchewan uh there's elizabeth fry's all across canada i was working at the one in kamloops as well uh Basically, they support women that are in conflict with the law, um, criminalized women, and basically, you know, diversion 
from um, prison and also uh, reintegration from prison. And they support, um, have other supportive programs. Like we run an addictions program, like an outpatient addictions program. Um, we also have like a drop-in center and um, we have court workers that go and provide supports to women. Uh, that's the organization that I'm uh, working for right now. And the one in Kamloops, they had housing. We don't have any housing, we need housing. But um, basically, I've gone from, um, you know, being a lawyer to being able to use those skills in, in my job now, which is really important sure. to me. And um, it's more of a social justice lens because it, it's, um, serving women that are vulnerable and, and in those cycles that I, I was in myself, right? Yeah, so they're, I mean, basically you're you're able to help your help yourself from years back. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, in, in a way, in a way, um, you know, and it's funny because it, this is also the organization that I volunteered for when I was re released from prison. And so, um, you know, they helped me a lot when I got out and um, being able to give back to community in that way. Also, um, you know, I, I got I got LinkedIn and um, I was able to uh, help them and they were able to help me. And I've been working for Elizabeth Fry's for almost five years at this point. And I got to do some regional advocacy work, which is like prison in reach, which is also, I think, helpful as well almost you know i don't know what exactly the percentage of women that are incarcerated have you know addiction and alcoholism problems but we know it's pretty high right, right? oh yeah and yeah so yeah. we'll go yeah. ahead and say about 90 yeah. percent <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and so you know i i'm basically looking at at this point like i've only been in this position for a month but i'm looking at, at um gaps in, in services so that we can start addressing some of these things before people actually you know are sitting in prison sure. because that's you know it's not it's not the best place and and the thing is and and i don't I don't kid myself. I'm coming from a place of privilege, right? Like I had two university degrees and um, I, I'm a little different than a lot of the women that I was incarcerated with. A lot of those women are coming from, um, you know, terrible trauma, terrible, terrible childhood trauma. And, and they don't um, have the privilege that I have and the barriers that they're facing are a lot bigger than anything that I ever faced. And, and so I feel like, um, you know, I've got a bit of credibility and respect to, um, being able to talk to other people that are professionals and also, um, you know, understanding what those women are going through or what sort of barriers they're facing. Because like, even though I don't have the same barriers, I did face some of that when I went, you know, when I was coming out of prison and I didn't really understand what, what it was going to look like for me. And I think that that led me to relapse and that um, easily could have led me back to prison again. And, and um, so, you know, I, I think that I have a responsibility to um, kind of translate, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. But the cool thing yeah. is the solution is the same for all of us. It is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Um, but, but making people that don't understand addiction understand that where that's where the funding needs to go is um, is difficult, right? Because, you know, even even if you're getting released from prison you and you can make it to an NA meeting or an AA meeting and, and that sort of thing, if you don't have housing, you're right. fucked. Right. If you don't have those supports, like, financially, you're fucked. Like, 
So it's it's finding those wraparound supports for people so that, that they can have stability and consistency. In so what, what you're trying to do when you're talking about that is trying to get that financial support from governmental agencies or whatever the deal is to be able to, okay, I yep. get it. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that, well, that's the unfortunate <laughs> yeah. part unless, well, and we know people, <laughs> we got sober with people that were, you know, within the, you know, the courts and we know judges and we know doctors and we know lawyers and we know all those, yeah. all those people, you know, from, from the top to the bottom, but it is from, from a mm-hmm. governmental standpoint, there's not always that, you know, that exact funding or that understanding of what people need. So, but the cool part is, and, and this has been, probably a topic of conversation. God, Mike, I don't know how many times that how this, all this shit that we go through, you know, um, you know, obviously benefits us so we could take all this freaking garbage and all this, this pain, the suffering that we had ourselves, but also that we inflicted on other people. And now to be able to turn it around mm-hmm. and, and use that to help people is pretty fucking cool. You know? So. Right. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it was especially, um, important for me to come back to this community because like I said when I got out I was in um, that I was in a different community and I was volunteering and I was giving back and I was doing all these things with community organizations but that's not my community I mean it I'm, became my community but this where I am now this is my community and and I feel like um, I can do a lot of really good things and I'm, I'm looking forward to giving back so you've been you've been back there for a month and I know you said that when as you put it when you rolled yep. into town you felt differently um, did you feel <laughs> I mean have you run across uh, well in going back to the same area where you were you know using and doing all those different things because that's so you're in that same type of area right yeah that, that was that like have you ran oh, yeah. into people that you knew from the past or anything like that or you just typically stay away from oh, the yeah, people, yeah, places yeah. and things <laughs> well i mean it's, it's small there's only two hundred seventy thousand people in the city like i mean it's big enough that you can avoid certain things but my office is right in the fucking oh. <laughs> like i literally my office is half a block from um one of my really good buddies that we used to like trap out of his house um i'm probably five blocks from one of the biggest traps that i used to work out of um i've seen probably i don't know how many people that i used to sell drugs to right you know uh but like i said it's about changing that narrative um i I've seen uh, somebody that I was in prison with because I'm, I'm serving women that are in prison. And this is also somebody that I used with. And it's, it's interesting to me because it doesn't always have to be about that. It, it, it's about those changes that you're making and, and whether that person has made those changes or not, if they see that you have, mm-hmm. it, it's actually pretty, it's pretty um, mm-hmm. profound. Right. Yeah. Attraction rather than promotion. Yeah. Right. Correct. Yep. Correct. Well, it was just, uh, it yeah. was funny because when, when I moved back to Wisconsin, I lived in the area that I lived in, I ended up getting a job, I don't know, hour and a half away from where it was, but my, my son still lived in that area. So, you know, I go back into these, again, these areas where, and I was, I was a straight booze hound. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't in the drugs, yeah. not that it really matters, but you know, I don't know. I was passing the, and I told Mike the one time I passed probably, you know, seven or eight or nine different liquor stores going to pick up my son and go watch his practice, go to dinner and go back to the hotel I was staying in. It was crazy, you know, because all he said, I texted him right away. I'm like, he wouldn't believe this. And he's like, all he says to me is like, enjoy the freedom, you know, which I, yeah, I didn't have to, I didn't have to stop it. Which one I stopped at before. Um, I don't go to bars these days unless, unless there's an event, you know, or, or a funeral, right, Mike? (laughs) 
yeah. right? His, uh, his, his, well, his girlfriend's dad um, passed away, and then they had the uh, – we went to the cemetery, and they did a little memorial ceremony for him there, and then uh, we ended up supposed to get together at a bar. So, yeah, Mike and I hung out in, in a bar for, what, three hours, four hours, whatever it was? Yeah, something you know, like but that. It was, it was cool. We were there for a purpose, not that uh, – not that there for a bar, yeah. but yeah. that's why, you know, that's why I mentioned like the people, places and things because they're, you know, I don't, yeah. uh, I don't go back around, um, you know, bars and clubs and shit like that, that I used to go to. And, um, not that I did a lot of that, but I, you know, I just, I avoid things like that. And I don't, I don't hang around with people I know that, you know, are going to be drinking or maybe you don't support the, you know, the type of life that I want to live these, these days too, which, you know, that's a, it's a personal choice. I mean, that's, I could end up in that circumstance, but I don't have to, you know, so I choose not to. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's about changing that narrative, right. right? So when I, when I came off that relapse and I was working with um, the building that I was working in, it was a wet building, which means you can use in the building. So I was like around a lot of drugs and people using drugs. But since I was there for a purpose and I was there to support um, and provide harm reduction and make sure people that weren't dying, I, I mean, it was it was different because I wasn't triggered and it, it wasn't, um, you know, something that I was even considering at that point. And, and it was the same when I came back into town here. Like, I'm, I'm here for work. I'm here to give back to community. I'm here to make amends. Uh, to community and the you know the people that I, I hurt in a you know in a different sure. sort of way, but it's the same thing, right? It's about changing that narrative. Well, but the and the other thing so, too yeah. is, I mean, you're just doing what you're doing. I mean, you've got a you've got a job and had a job, you know, giving back to the community and stuff like that. That in and of itself is a because Mike Mike talks about it probably more than I do, but we're both you know huge fans of that living amends, you know, showing people, mm-hmm. you know, rather right. than and Mike right. always says, right, program of action. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So just, yeah, give it a, give it a chance to, you know, again, you, you may not be given back to every, every single, cause you have mentioned all those different people and things like that, that you, that you harmed and whatever the case is, oh, but God. you know, doing, doing what you're doing actually ends up giving back to, you know, to people in general. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. um, what else? I mean, what what else do you want to? I mean, I don't know. Share with people. Tell about people. I mean, you've got. I, and I knew it had a hell of a story. I knew a little. I knew that as much about the fact that you that you were a lawyer and you lost <laughs> you lost your license. I didn't know. I didn't know the the whole part of your story. But um, what else do you want to? What else you want to oh. talk about? Oh, I, I don't even really know what I want to talk about. I mean. Beyond everything that I've said, I, I can't really think of anything. I mean, do you guys have any questions? For no, me? I mean, I, I think I've kind of asked along the way. What about you, Mike? No, no, not at all. I mean, you apparently you're doing what you feel you need to do, which is which is cool. Yeah, you're giving back. You're as I always say, try to make our little quarter of the world a better place. That's all we can do. That's what this program exactly. has taught us to do. That's that's how we live our lives today to make our – again, AA math, man. It doesn't fucking add up. Me trying to make my little corner of the world a better place makes my life better. How the fuck does that work? <laughs> me giving back – me doing things for other people makes my life better. How the fuck does that work? I don't know, but it does. It's humility. It's humility. And, <laughs> right. And also get, it's, it's, uh, what is it? Ego off, soul on. 
that that's one of my other favorite things because you know when you're out of your head and out of out of um, you know that that place of ego or coming from that place, then then you're able to make you know things better. Right. Yeah, we were yeah. just Mike and yeah. I were just talking about that. Um, was that last week that we were talking about the pride thing? Yeah, uh-huh. it was the the fact that it's uh, you know because. You know, everyone always tells you in the program that, you you know, we shouldn't be prideful and that sort of thing, which I which I do disagree with. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being proud as long as it's as long as you're not being a dick about it, as long as you're not being an ego, egotist about it. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, the, the way that I put it, I mean, I'm super proud of the, the time that we have. I mean, you know, we're coming up on, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, in our, our it's just it's. 13 years, it's a lot of time, you know, but we, we, we put the work yeah. in and we do what we need to do. But, um, and I'll tell anyone that, you know, not anyone, but you know what I mean? I'll tell people who, who want to listen about, you know, the time I have, but I'm not walking around and being an egotist to somebody who has, you know, six years or seven years or two months. I don't feel better than anyone, right. but when I look at it, I'm like, fuck, man, <laughs> we, we did some work to get here, but we're not done yet. You know, I mean, we got to continue to do that, but, um, but yeah, ego. I still have a bit of an ego, but I think it's uh, it's a little more, it's a little <laughs> oh, bit more God. controlled than it than it used to be. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah, for sure. I'm more of an for egotist sure. than like real life. Not when it comes to recovery. I'm not. I'm not as much of a of a dick and an egotistical dick when it comes to this sort of thing because I this means too much to me. You know, I'll I'll act like more of a more of an ego egomaniac sometimes in a normal situation. Usually joking, but you know, when it comes to recovery, man, I, I know I didn't do this myself. And you know, like Mike said before, I mean he's not doing this on on his own. We got plenty of plenty of people that have taught us, guided us, yeah. and, and still guide us along the way. So so yeah. Yeah. Oh. And we need that. We need <laughs> we need other people's perspective. Oh yeah. Right. Which always brings me back to the first step. You know, which has two parts to it, right? The first part, I'm powerless. I'm powerless over the substance. I cannot fucking win. I cannot safely use. I cannot. I have no power over the substance. And the second part of that first step, that step that we, the only step, thank Christ, that we can, <laughs> we only have to do 100%, uh, is my life is unmanageable. And guess what? My life is still unmanageable. If I try to manage <laughs> my life, I'm going to fuck it up. What I do is I let the program and the principles of this program manage my life, and my life works for some reason. Right. And I don't question Absolutely. it anymore. I just, I just, you know what? I let this shit manage my life, these principles, and as long as I do that, I stay sober, and I don't hurt the people around me anymore. And that's all I really care about anymore. Okay, here's okay. a question. So do you do you ever act out of self will? I mean, you got it every once in a while. But oh yeah, of you course. realize it and you correct yourself. Yeah, right. But yeah. Yeah. I hate you know, no, I, hate I I'm not perfect by any means. <laughs> no. No. I, I, I try to take it back all the time and then I yes, and I catch myself and, and my, my support group slapped. catches me and they say, yes. Nope, you're wrong. And yeah. so yeah. And then I let again these principles manage my life and it works. <laughs> right. Right, right. <laughs> I love getting my hands slapped by by the self <laughs> Yeah, we all we all have that. And I I have no patience, and I need people like Mike and my sister, and you know, people that are that are close to me. And uh, thankfully, I've got I've got half a, you know, half the sense to to go to people and be like, should I do this? Like, fuck no, you shouldn't do that, or you got to wait, you know. <laughs> yeah, but but I, it right as soon as oh, you're a bear yeah, as soon as I lose that lose that sense to ask then I'm then I'm in trouble but uh but yeah so but right. I mean honestly Nicole this has been it's been wonderful we appreciate you we appreciate you coming on and um 
Thanks for asking me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Not a problem it. at all. So, and you admittedly have not listened to any of our episodes, so you haven't you haven't heard <laughs> you haven't heard one end yet. So, uh, Mike always ends our episodes, so you and I get to get to quiet down for a minute. Mike gets to gets to close us out. Okay. okay. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Sober Not Mature. We want to thank Nicole for coming on and sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us. And uh, as, as always, be kind to each other, be good to each other, do something nice for somebody else this week. And please, 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 fuck off. Then keep fucking off. <laughs> keep fucking off until you get to a gate with a sign on it saying you cannot fuck off past here. Climb over that gate. Dream the impossible dream and keep fucking off forever. <laughs> I, I heard you laughing right away, Nicole. <laughs> so, so the, the, and I always tell people this, the short story behind that is we were on like episode two or three or four, maybe. And, you know, we're just like, we should figure out some sort of snappy way to end this. And Mike's exact words were the only thing I could think of is fuck off. So, yeah. Fuck off. It's time to fuck so he, off. He started doing that, and then our, our sister is the one that gave us that. That was on a meme that she sent us, and we've been using that. Again, I always lose track of it for, for months now, six months, you know, something like yep. that, maybe. Oh, at least. Yeah, so yep. um, that's our that's our typical way we end an episode, and it, it makes me laugh. That's how we sign <laughs> off. Yeah, it makes me laugh every time, and especially if we've had somebody that's never heard it before. Usually we hear the giggles in the background, so... <laughs> so we know we're doing the right thing we're Perfect. making others right. happy <laughs> all right well mike i love you brother nicole thank you thank you, you again for, for being on and uh, we appreciate thank it. you very very much yeah all right everyone awesome. have a wonderful wonderful evening bye <laughs>As always, thank you for listening to another episode of Sober, Not Mature. To access all of our content and interact with us, please visit our website, SoberNotMature.com. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you soon.